You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to M Pavilion 2021 by MAP Studios. Um, now we're moving into another part of the evening, um, a conversation. But before we start, um, I'd like to acknowledge the Boon and the Wurundjeri people of the Eastern Kulin Nations, the traditional custodians of the land which we meet and which we also work and create and acknowledge uh, their ancestors and pay my respects to their land, their waters, their um, um, and I also would like to acknowledge any... Now, tonight uh, is a prequel, if you like, of a really, really important event, a very special event for us, um, which will be the inaugural flight of the Sky Whale Papa on Saturday week at Yarraben Park. Patricia Piccinini is joining us, the artist who created the Sky Whale and the new Sky Whale Papa. And Dr. Vanessa Pirotta is joining us, a whale scientist who's got a PhD in whale science. Um, and uh, we're really excited because the Naomi Milgram Foundation actually supported the national tour of the Sky Whale Papa, and we're very proud to be uh, hosting the Melbourne flight uh, through the M Pavilion. Um, and I do hope that you can keep your eye on that and watch for the, any updates as we get closer for the precise times and any changes with weather, but um, everybody's welcome and that will be at dawn on the 19th of March. Um, so if I could invite you both to come over here. The sky whales are extraordinary, and their inspiration is, of course, from nature. And, you know. and so I, I invite you now to start your conversation about whales. Okay. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I guess the beginning of the sky whale project for me um, came from this piece of knowledge. I read that if you look into the eye of a whale, you can have a transformative moment and your life is never the same again. And for me, <laughs> for my art, I so, that get there, but you know, that's the dream. And I thought that further um, sort of enamoured me of the whales. Of, of our planet. And so here is a woman who actually has looked into the eye of a whale and who knows everything about whales. And it's just a fantastic opportunity for all of us to hear about whales because they are, in fact, what inspired me to make that, that, this whole project. Well, looking into the eyes of a whale is incredible. And so thank you so much for having me here today. The opportunity to be in the water with a whale, these are animals the size of a bus. So from where you're sitting to where you're sitting in the corner there with your green top, that's, that's as long as a whale or a humpback whale at least. They can get longer. Blue whales can be up to 30 metres. But the moment I had, I have had a few very fortunate moments to look eye to eye with a whale and what was it like? It was absolutely incredible. 
In fact, one of the moments I, I've actually shared with you uh, through a video. Oh, I've seen this movie. We all, wow. It's unbelievable. This took place in Tonga in 2019 and humpback whales will go to Tonga. They do this in Australian waters as well because it's different populations and they'll go to the warm waters to breed and have their young. So in this case, the day I was swimming, it was a beautiful sunny day, the mother of the, the humpback whale, so this calf was probably... Uh, I would say a few a month or so old. So a humpback whale will have a, a single calf at a time. Every was a mum, an escort, so the the female. So he'll hang around her, and um, even while she's got a child. Oh yes. Oh my god. In fact, females will do what they can to to avoid males with when they've got a child, but they will find that she's very ir- irresistible and. Post doing what he has to do, they won't hang around. What, so there's what? no parental care there. Why are they called escorts? <laughs> because they'll they'll es- literally escort the female for a period of time and ensure that they're able to mate with her, and then do their thing. So this very day, there was the the female was sleeping below me at diagonally. So you think of a bus just diagonally hanging out. The water is so clear in Tonga that you can just look down and you can see this huge animal just so still. And how do they breathe when they sleep? They, they don't. That's the thing. So they're mammals. For how long do so they not breathe? They can hold a humpback whale. So different types of whales can hold their breath for a long, longer, different, depending on what they do. Humans can do it for six minutes. That's the Australian record. What Is about, yeah. A humpback whale can do up to 20 minutes and that's, that's nothing. And they only sleep for 20 minutes? They can do blops. So they can do um, a period of time where they'll snack sleep and then they might sleep on the run. And then they, they don't fully go into a sleep like what we do. They don't wrap themselves up into a nice cosy du- duvet. They will. They need to remain vigilant because they've got to actively think about breathing. So they're conscious breathers. Right now you're all breathing and you're not thinking about it. A humpback whale and whales and dolphins, they need to actively think about breathing so they'll come to the surface of the water to breathe. So at this stage, I hopped in the water. There's this whale and the calf, the baby is a lot smaller. Oh, so they have to breathe more. Exactly. So they do, they need to come to the surface to breathe a lot more frequently oh. than the mum or the dad. Does that mean they don't sleep as much? Well, that's a, that's actually a good question. I don't know the answer to that. Well, sorry, I'm a bad scientist. There are some things I just don't know. Well, as a mother, I'd really like it when my kids slept. Yes. It'd be pretty annoying if they could, it's like, oh no. Well, in this case, we were almost babysitting this calf because this calf came up and then it went, oh, I, again, I don't know what they're thinking, but we know they're thinking because this very day, this calf came up, it saw me, took a breath and it saw me and I started waving my arm like this. Now in Tonga, there are rules and regulations for swimming with whales and I worked on that for early in my master's and uh, there was a naughty, naughty swimmer who was over the other side and not doing the right thing and I stayed with the whale guide and this whale, once I started moving my arm like this because these animals gesture a lot, this animal saw me and started moving its arm like this, almost like a robot. And then it went, oh, hello, I'm going to come right over to you. At this point, I was, I had honestly did not know what to do. The animal comes right over to me and it's like I had seen a ghost, even though I knew what I was doing. The, the animal came over, brought its pectoral flipper, its arm, right to my chest. And at this stage, I... I I was, I was shocked because I knew that this animal is very big and powerful and it doesn't know 
it's strength. It has a lot of strength. And then to the point where I moved back and then the animal's tail came around and it took my fins off. I was a toy to it. It was amazing. Special. But when you have a mother humpback whale look into your eye is way more powerful because when a mother comes up to, to the surface, I've had this one time where a whale mum has brought her pectoral flipper reaching out to me, like re- reaching out to you and just knew its distance and was so gentle and was just looking and spent time trying. It was almost like they were analysing. Now, I don't want to anthropomorphise too much, but... These animals are able to move away at any stage and for them to spend that time and to be in the water and to look at you and to think and to feel, it's incredible. Do you think that she was trying to connect with you? Potentially. And and this is for me as a scientist, I always want to make sure that, you know, oh, well, we don't really know. We're not doing any science on that. But if I remove that, I, I... it very much felt like that. Oh my gosh, you're so lucky. It's, I feel so lucky. Yeah. It is incredible the opportunities I've had. And I got to say, we're do, I, did my, I have done my PhD on whales and to be in the water with a whale, it strips me of, I thought I knew a little bit about whales, but you don't. This gentleman has, how big is the eye? Oh, um, the eye of the animal. So I always, I, worked on, I work on a whale watching boat. You can basically hold the eyeball. It's like a rock melon size. So this is a big eye. So they're, they're, they're quite generous in size. They're big animals. And apparently, so dolphins are what we refer to as monochromatic. So they can't see in the colour like we can. So it's a greyish colour. So I believe it's true of the whales as well. But don't quote me on that one. But I was actually also terrified like it was joyful and terrifying at the same time um, because the, the sky whales are not like normal balloons. They're very wide and so they, they sort of do this a lot. They're like big sails and it was like this, you had to hold, I had held two feelings. Was that the same for you? Like when you were near, the, like they could easily, That's you know, it. It's like a very playful puppy. And right. so you feel vulnerable at times, but you're so excited. And then yeah. I remember the first time I hopped in the water with a whale. This was in 2013 in Tonga as well, because in Australia, we, we do have rules and regulations for swimming with animals. You can't just simply go and do that. I will point that out. The federal government will be happy with that. I said that. Um, but in Tonga, the first time I hopped in the water with a whale, I, I never forgot forget the water was, it was kind of an overcast day and there was just this mum and calf. The calf was right next to the mum and it's like we just had uncovered some, um, something amazing in a jungle and this animal, these two animals were just there looking at us, just there like they knew we were there before we saw them and they were just looking, looking, looking and just amazing, taking a breath, just staring and then once they was, were, okay, we've had enough now, I'm going to go. And then they just went away. Where there's some whales that just are not interested in anything with humans and that's fine. You respect that as well. Mm. Um, so my sky whale, when I drew her, she's got all these memories. Um, and, and a lot of people didn't like that at the beginning. But I think now people are warm to that. But for me, it was really important that she had memories because that's the definition of a mammal, that you give birth to life and that you have hair. Now, yes. there's a lot in this... Um, I always wondered, where's the hair? Where's the hair on a whale? Like, where are they? Good question. So whales do have hair. So do dolphins. You're probably thinking, wow, where where have I been all my life? These facts are amazing. Well, humpback whales, they're on their face. They've got these tubercles, so these bubbly, these, they're kind of like pimples, but they're not. 
and they, they've got a single hair follicle on them. What, so, just one? Well, on each one. Yeah. So there's a lot I, of different I, tubercles. I put them on my sky wells. I didn't quite know what they were. Yeah, what are they? <laughs> so they've got a sensory, so they've got the hair follicle on it. Yeah. And, and the no one in the world 100% knows what they do, but it's most likely a sensory and a tactile thing. So these animals are very tactile and um, they'll see the world. They rub up on things. Unfortunately, they get too close to the nets and they become entangled, too close to ve vessels. And this is a big problem for us as scientists. Um, and so they're curious. So this this tactile, the, the, the main, what we believe, the main form or the main purpose of those hair follicles on the tubercles is to act as a sensory. Like where the water, how the water's going. And and also in a hydrodynamics um, shape. So also the, the pectoral flippers of a humpback whale is being used to design, I believe, wind turbines because these animals are very structurally beautiful. If you've ever seen a 787 aircraft as well, you see that they're, that's my favourite plane, they're, their wings go up. They're super cool. But even if you drive a Mercedes-Benz, depending on what type you've got, the front of that is modelled off a box fish because it's very hydrodynamic. And so aerodynamic model many of the things that we have every day. But the mammary glands, which I'm also really interested in, because in my book I talked about uh, <laughs> breast milk. The most amazing adaptation is that their milk is as thick as toothpaste, which I find very romantic. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, we've seen them. We have seen mothers breastfeed, and they do yes. that quite a lot. And they have they have small breasts underneath, don't they? Yes, so they they're don't, not like my sky whale. No, your sky no, whale would no. not be hydrodynamic because they'd be flopping around everywhere swimming. Exactly. Yeah. But for a humpback whale, specifically, well, all all whales, but they do have two mammary slits where they're like two little holes. And dolphins will do this too. They'll curl their tongue up and then they'll use their tongue like a straw to feed. And sometimes I've not been privileged to see this. Like a straw? Yeah, so they'll go like that. For your listeners, I just curled my tongue. Um, and so what that'll do, that enables the, the, the transition of milk to their mouth very effectively. And there's been some great videos. I've not seen this, but where the calves, after the calf is fed, it opens its mouth and it's kind of like, oh, okay, I've had enough. And then there's milk in the water. It looks really cool. And, it, and it's thick because so it doesn't dissipate out. It, yes. That's why. That, that would yeah. most likely be the reason. And they can feed their calf up to 100 litres of milk a day. Oh, my gosh. In addition to that, the mum's migrating. So the mum would have travelled from Antarctica all the way to the northern waters of Australia, had fed months ago, had a child, and at the same time there's some male whales that think she's very sexy and want to hang out with her. I mean, you've got a lot on your plate if you're a female humpback whale at times. But we've never actually seen that. There's been footage and I was in the water with uh, two humpback whales that were very excited, but we've never seen the birth of a humpback whale completely. Oh, right. It's the birth. That's what it is. Whales are why born. Is it, why do you think it's so secretive? I, I don't know. Just go into your whale brain. I, well, the thing is that we have seen... <laughs> Crazy question. <laughs> it is so... It's unbelievable yeah. because people... There is a lot of photographers who swim with humpback whales It said they do it every single year. It's a tourism thing and so... You'd think that they would document that, but it has yeah. not yet been seen completely. And they will give birth to their babies tail first. So it comes out tail first. And then there is just, it's a natural biological thing that once they come out, they go to the surface of the water straight away. To breathe. To breathe, that's right. And right. they will, you might think that they're born and then they just rest at the surface. No. They're, once they're born, they will swim. 
The mothers will swim with them. This is like dolphins as well. They'll swim, 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 so the babies can stay in the in, in the slipstream of the mum until they're a bit stronger, and then they can swim on their own. And you told me that they have a special way of communicating. Yes, yeah. research in, in Madagascar actually. So I've done some work in Madagascar on the whales there. And the team that I worked with, the French team Setamata, they ta- they place tags on both the mum and the baby. So these are acoustic tags. So these are like the size of your mobile phone with suction cups. And so they on the back of the whale. And then what they found is that the mothers and the calves will whisper to each other at times so that they're not heard by other male whales and killer whales and other predators. So they can actually wing, so the males will The females don't sing like that. So the males will sing to attract a tet to be a way of attracting a female in the area, whereas the females will whisper to their calves, they may moan or groan, and the sound in the ocean is very important and that's why us as humans, we need to be very aware of our sound footprint in the ocean so we don't keep reducing the available space that whales have to talk to each other. Mm. And so Skywell Papa is about care. So at Skywell Mama is about the wonder of nature and the idea that um, whales evolved from mammals and that's an cr- amazing idea. But Skywell Papa is... Um, about how care is not just a human thing, um, it's, it's everywhere in nature um, and, it's, um, and, and this is what he's about. So how, do, how long do the sky well, no, the, the No, how long do the mothers stay with their, to their, with their babies? That's a very good question. So the humpback whale mum will have a baby and the baby will be with its mum for about six to 12 months. And then after 12 months, that baby becomes a yearling. So we refer to that as a yearling where it's kind of like a teenager whale. It, it doesn't happen that quickly, but they're not teenagers straight away. They must but grow very quickly then. They do. So they, when they come out, they're really light colour, they're floppy, their dorsal fin is limp. And then as they get older, it becomes erect and then they become stronger and then they start, they'll drink milk exclusively and then they'll start seeing the mums feed. And in fact, our research has shown recently, as of two, two years ago, we published this last year, that humpback whales are using Australian waters to feed in big mass supergroups, which has never been seen before, ever, in Australian waters. So on the migration, they're probably seeing mums feed as well as others. And after that, once they do what they have had to do, then they decide to, to move on off and then they do their own thing. Just after a year? Roughly after a year, there may be some cases where, uh, well, there are, we do know of cases where a humpback whale's calf will hang out until the other calf is around. So they've not left the house essentially. But they're so young to be out on their own. It's amazing. It's it's amazing. And And in the big blue ocean, it's crazy. And the southern ocean. I've travelled to Antarctica via ship and there's nothing there. It's so where they're going. How do they do that? I mean, it's so big. It is amazing. There's some great research. So again, tagging research or satellite tagging, which shows some whales in South, of South America that they travel north from the Antarctic almost with not moving within one or two degrees of their, of their direction north, which is amazing. So it's most likely they're using magnetic or navigational cues that we're just not aware of. And that's just part of their makeup in their brain. They're just the way... 
they've evolved. Potentially. That's just unbelievable. And some animals have cultural memory of where they've been and some areas that were hunted by humans where unfortunately animals were killed. Some whales have not returned to those areas because they remember. And so as a result, they've lost that cultural knowledge of those areas. And so if you know that that's a bad place then you're not likely to go there again. So it's very interesting. In fact, the feeding that we're seeing off here in Australia, including bubble net feeding, which hasn't been seen since two years ago. What's bubble net? Bubble net feeding is where they blow bubbles deliberately from their blowhole and they create a bubble net around their prey. So once they blow their bubbles around this prey, their fish... Bubbles of air. That's right, bubbles of air. Not not anything. No, no. Bubbles of air. So and it's that like, confounds the fish. Yeah. They go, what's going on? It, it gets bald and it's all very, oh my gosh, and there's bubbles all around. And then the whales will independently or cooperatively come up from underneath. So they'll, it, they, it's like their, their stomach and their throat is like a accordion. It'll open up like a slinky if there's any kids around. Open up really wide and they'll engulf both that, their food and their water material in their mouths because they don't have teeth. This is the humpback whale we're talking about. And then they'll raise their tongue to the surface of their mouth, expel the water and feed. Wow. Like Finding Nemo, if you've ever seen that. Although I must point out, and I've given a TEDx Melbourne talk about this, if you were swallowed by a whale like Marlon and Dory was, they came out the blowhole. I'm sorry, Pixar. Anatomically, there's only one way out and it's not pretty. So we've all learned something very important here. That's interesting because I've, I've taken some liberties as well that with the morphology of my work. Um, my skywars did have a hump. I didn't quite know why the humpback whale was called a humpback whale. Do you know? Yeah, there's, there's two theories around this. Yeah. If you look at the dorsal fin, so that, that fin on top, like a shark fin, there's a, there's a hump before that. But it's, it's a result of as the animals take a dive, they really create this hump shape. Oh, is that why? Because I looked at it and I thought, there's no hump there. Yeah, well, some animals actually do have more of a defined hump area. Right. Okay. But it's as they dive. Okay. Um, now, the, I was, when I sat down to put colours on my whale, this is um, how I came to colour them. I looked into um, the colours that were, were kind of camouflaged and I looked into First World War planes, fighter planes. Do you know that they were pink? And, that it, and they were because it's hard to see pink against that blue. And so when you looked up, um, you, can, you can't see that kind of peachy. The top bit is kind of dark because I, and not many people, not many views are going to be from the top. They're mostly going to be from the bottom. And this is going to add to that idea that, you know, they kind of exist, but... Um, we just didn't see them. And is that the same with humpback whales? Like, do they have a similar reason to adaptate a colour that's, you yeah. know, they've adapted to? You have or? completely looked to the right places because I find that really interesting about aircraft being those colours. Also, naval vessels, are, depending on where they are, if you're in the Arctic, there's certain colours to reflect the ice, so they're more camouflaged. And in the whale world, this is called countershading. So whales will be dark on top. If you're a predator looking down at a whale, they'll be dark. And if you're a predator looking up at a whale, in fact, where we are is really good because in M Pavilion here, the underneath, there's some sails above us right now. These are very light. So if you look underneath them and you're looking up at the sky, if you're a predator, that'll match quite well with the sky. 
And killer whales are a great example of that. They're very dark on top, light on the bottom. Countershading. So you have absolutely nailed the brief there with your colours on the whales. Except a uh, different source. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> the air. Which, which, yeah. which was looking to nature as well. So to do those aircraft colours, they look to nature and what would work quite well. Now, um, I'm worried about whales because that's one of my um, ways of being in the world. I'm anxious around species becoming extinct. Should we be worried about them? Like, I'm, I'm anxious around all the noise in the sea. Um, so while we do love these animals and some everyone loves them, well, not everyone loves them. Who doesn't? Some people think, well, if you're a shark scientist, you think sharks are way cooler. I know a lot of shark scientists. Um, but my point being is that whales are very important to both you and I and all of us sitting here. They're feeding in one area and pooing in another. They're moving huge amounts of iron and nutrients and fertilising our oceans to help provide the second lungs of our earth, which is the ocean, and our air, essentially. So whales face a number of threats from humans and sound is one of those. You mean the... The, the, the poo that comes out fertilises the... Microorganisms, which I know you love. I do. Yes. <laughs> We've established that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So it, they fertilise the microorganisms and they make air for us. They help, they, so they help with the carbon cycle. And right. one of nature's greatest laboratories, which I was fortunate to fly over the other day, Antarctica, is where this happens. This process is very, it, well, it happens all, all around, but Antarctica is really important for all of us and the humpback whales because we need sea ice because these animals will eat Antarctic krill. They which eat live, krill? They eat krill and I fish. they eat fish. Both? Both, everything. So the, these animals oh. will need Antarctic krill, which rely on sea ice as habitat. Oh. And so this is a great process down south because if we have reduction in sea ice through climate change, we lose krill habitat, which means there's no there's a reduction in homes for krill, which is the main food source for humpback whales. So I know I've gone a bit off topic here, but this is my point here so they, is... they eat all... They eat... Every and they'll poo down there. They might poo up here depending if they eat. But all those little animals that they feed with their poo will yeah. help the, the marine cycle that helps our cycle here on Earth. That's helping us right here, right now. Whether you're sitting in front of us or listening to us, it's really important. And so all these animals play important ecological roles. And myself as a scientist, I do worry because one of my main focuses is to try and reduce interactions with humans and whales. So I've written a paper about marine giants like humpback whales, whale sharks, basking sharks and marine roads where we talk about shipping, shipping routes because sound is obviously very immediate at the source, mm. but sound in the ocean travels beyond. So this would be like us having a chat right here and then the people over there would be able to hear our conversation quite well because sound travels super well. Remember, humpback whale can have a conversation kilometres away with each other. But if it's too noisy because of us through underwater construction, vessels, it becomes a tricky place to, to mm. communicate to each be other. It's so confusing and just like irritating to have all this stuff around you all the time. It is. How can you relax? Well, that we do know through science that in some times where it's really noisy, yeah. in addition to human sounds, but sometimes it can be really windy, it can be tricky for whales to talk to each other. So one of the ways around that is by making a lot of noise by jumping out of the water. And a whale can jump out of the water, it can be 40,000 kilograms in weight, yeah. and that can make a lot of sound. So mm. it's really cool. Mm. And one of the first things I ever learned about 
humpback whales is that they're great singers and communicators. This is like the first thing that made me fall in love with them. And that's the other, and they slightly change to, to compose a soundtrack and also a song for the Skywalls because I just thought this project has to have music because humpback whales are musical. That's right. And so I mean, your, your track this year, though, might not be in a hit next year, so you might need to be adapting your song. I'm sorry to tell you that, but in the whale world, if you're a male singer and you're singing a 2019 song, the ladies won't like you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> So I created more work for you. I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> don't worry. We don't need to tell everyone that. But, yeah, no. whale song changes from time to time and from different subpopulations. And can you recognise particular whales? Like, like I've actually listened to a lot of whales, but, can, but I don't know if it's the same whale or... So you're talking about can you hear if this is like, Jessica or that's Jack? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, not specifically, and there might be some acousticians who but, do. But maybe they can. That's right. Right. But then the other thing is different species make different sounds. So the humpback whale will sound like the creaking door, like a mmm. And then as I did before, the bub, bub, bub. Oh, no, no, that's another species, sorry. The um, mmm, mmm. And then whoop, 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 whoop. Whereas the dwarf minke whale, which is another species, they sound like star, a Star Wars sound where they go bub, bub, boing. Ba-ba-ba-boing. So different species make different sounds and that's one of the great ways that we can listen for whale presence. So there are hydrophones right now in different parts of the world, underwater microphones, listening for whale presence. And this is one of the coolest ways scientists can work out which whales are in different places at different times of the year. So then right here at this time, do we don't hurt them? And then that's where the science will help inform any activities that happens in the ocean. Oh, that's really... Good to know. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I must point out, we've got to give credit to industries like the shipping industry. I'm not here saying that they're terrible. What I'm saying is that they're actually being really proactive. They go, well, we don't want to have interactions with whales. They, there is not one pilot out there that wants to hit a whale. No. That, and I, I acknowledge that. And there are really cool things through the International Maritime Organisation that is telling pilots to drive quieter to make sure you manoeuvre your animals in different areas where there's not likely to be whales. There's seasonal management areas in areas of Canada where we know that southern right whales are going to be breeding. And so they will divert traffic to avoid hitting these whales. They will design quieter ships. Us as humans, we are doing good things as well. So I don't want to be one of those negative scientists. I do want to make sure that everyone is acknowledged and our efforts are acknowledged to help protect these animals because that's really important. And things have changed, haven't they? Because I remember that the southern right whale was mm. named the southern right whale because it was the right whale to kill. Mm -hmm. So we wouldn't do that nowadays. We would never treat a whale like that. We wouldn't. And in fact, I, I'd really, I, I'd like to rename all the whales. I mean, I'm, I, I don't particularly like the humpback whale name as a name. There must be an indigenous name. There must be some much better names that we could use that are much more. Well, there's Migaloo. Have you heard of Migaloo? No. Has anyone here heard of Migaloo? I love no? Migaloo. Okay, I've got a nod. Great. There. Uh, two, two. Okay, great. What's Migaloo? M Migaloo is a white humpback whale and Migaloo is an Aboriginal term for white fella. Now, Migaloo is one of, he's the rock star in the whale world. In fact, you'll hear me talking to ABC every year saying, oh, yeah, where's Migaloo? Have we seen him? No one knows. He was first seen in 1991. I can feel another whale balloon coming here, oh, another sky yes. balloon, Mark III. 
He is completely white and it is a male through genetic testing. So a bit of his skin was tagged, taken. Is he an albino? Well, it is most likely an albino. So he has very light pigmentation. Okay, does he get sunburnt? Could do. Okay. Could do. We know dolphins get sunburnt. Yeah. That's a, it's actually a legitimate problem for animals like that. Um, and so he was first seen in 1991 off Byron Bay and he, he swims up our coast each and every year, although some years, and I'm not a footy person, but Dylan. So he's a great example. He's really white. So there's some variation in the way they look. And so the term Migaloo means white fella and that's a great term for him but there is a a, depending on different cultures aboriginal cultures along the coast they have different terms Hmm. there's a lot to it isn't there there is (laughs) yeah so we so our attitudes have changed as you're pointing out both in industry and in science we do attribute intrinsic value to them we do now understand um that they have relationships they have um uh, relations of care and nurture and they have cu- um, culture. Um, and so things have um, a lot better, aren't they? Uh, I've heard that the numbers are increasing. Is that right? Well, the numbers for the east and the west coast humpback whale population in Australian waters are doing really well. In fact, if you're listening to the news recently, the humpback whale in Australian waters has recently been removed from the threatened species list. Yeah, I heard that. So, how, how many of them are that there? It is a, it's a conservation success story. There will also be people here going, oh, my God, I'm a bit nervous about this. Don't worry. Um, mm. they, they still will be protected in Australian waters, but now our conservation dollar can be focused on animals like the southern right whale, which has not recovered well. So, there are, in the East Coast population, there are at least 40,000 humpback whales. That's... That's good. Which is growing at least 11% each year. And I was running a citizen mm. science project in Sydney which was able to count whales going past Sydney, past a wave rider boy for 20 years, believe it or not, and they were able to count an increase in whales. So these people were literally seeing the and they're recovering is because we stopped. <laughs> there is, is that- but in, in the Northern Hemisphere, if there's any folk from the Northern Hemisphere, the, southern, the North Atlantic right whale, unfortunately, their, their, their recovery post-whaling is unfortunately not happening because... Ship strike and entanglement in fishing gear is limiting their recovery. So these are real big problems here in Australia as well. So the southern right whale, if we lose an individual in the population, the southeast or the southwest population, that's bad news. Mm-hmm. Really they, bad news. When did they reach sexual maturity? Well, it depends. So for the humpback whales, it's at least 11 years plus. 11. So, well, so they it, leave their mother at one and then they've got 10 years out there by well, themselves. Well, it, it could be younger, so at least eight or so. So I'm, I'm a bit okay. conservative in my... I, I like to say, depending on the different types of literature you read, there are different places which estimate different numbers. So I'm very conservative in what I'm pointing out as a scientist, okay? So we'll just point that out. So, yeah, so, but there can be some that, that potentially can breed a lot younger as okay. well. And again, different species can do different things. So we're talking about baleen whales, which are toothless whales, whereas you have the sperm whale, which can hold their breath for over an hour. So if, has anyone seen the movie Avatar? I know, so some people have. So that there is a whale that can hold their breath for that entire movie length. So that's a trivia. Uh, uh, there you go. Put that to pub trivia later on. Yeah, so I think that's an hour and 30-something minutes. That's the Cuvier's beaked whale, deep diving beaked whale. These are whales that look like dolphins. They're very bizarre and we hardly know anything about them. So when a whale like that's really excited, well, I'm not sure about what they're eating and what they've been doing. In fact, 
there was a pygmy sperm whale that I did an necropsy on in Sydney and this animal we thought was bloated because it had passed. But turns out inside there was a calf. It was unbelievable to see. And again, these things do happen from time to time. You're probably thinking I'm a very cold scientist. But you really learn a lot from these opportunities. And it doesn't happen every day. So that's a good thing. But when it does happen, we make use of it. And a stranding in Tasmania, the mass stranding of the pilot whales... There's at least some good that comes from that as well. Those animals, a lot of them passed, but from science, the, the information that we can gather from a, such an event is very valuable. Mm. So there's a catch-22 with all the things, but we make use of things in the science world. Microplastics is a big thing too. There's a lot of research on humpback, well, fin whales, I believe, in the Mediterranean. There's microplastics in those animals. In fact, you could say that there's microplastics in just about a lot of life on earth and microplastics have reached just about all environments on earth and they're probably everywhere. Microplastics is a bad thing and it breaks down and smaller animals will feed on microplastics and then the bigger animals will feed on them as well. So biomagnification, it can get intense. It's very sobering some of these things, but you're all wonderful and you're acknowledging the fact that we need to remember that us as humans, we do have a big impact on the world and we need to be better at making the environment for these animals so they can flourish. What can we do as individuals living in Melbourne? Well, you're probably sitting here in the middle of the city going, well, yeah, what can I do to help a whale that's not yet reached Australian waters? Because mm. the whales right now are on their way to Australian waters, the humpback whales. Uh, we can do simple things. One of the easiest things, and because it's a balloon theme, we should only use recyclable balloons like yours. Sky whales should only be the only type of balloon that flies in the sky. Oh, you mean like those helium balloons? Exactly. Oh, and it's such a... I hate those things. You should never release a balloon in the sky. I have been off Sydney and I have seen 30th balloons, happy 60th, and they're out in the ocean. Don't do it, please. I believe Melbourne Zoo does a wonderful job at saying blow bubbles instead of balloons. Like that's a great initiative. And, and, and And the other thing could be reusing a, a, your mask, your face mask, put those in the bin or use a reusable one. Now, it's quite sobering. I know our health is important. I'm not a medical doctor, so use your mask as per specifications, but mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And not pouring down chemicals down the drain, those types of things. Mm. They're pretty pretty straightforward. and Yeah. yeah. And yeah. yes, you can make a difference. You don't need to be a scientist to make a difference. Having a conversation with your family tonight saying, oh, I heard these things about whales today and... That's a great motivator. So are there any questions from people out here about, the, about whales or the project? What's the purpose of the dorsal fin? It's much like hydrodynamics, but in the ocean, so it helps with stability. And you may have heard of some killer whales having dorsal fin collapse, like Free Willy. Yeah, everyone saw, I'm showing my age here, but Free Willy was super cool, Keiko. He passed away, unfortunately. Uh, but he had dorsal fin collapse and a lot of wild hump, uh, killer whales will have that as well. It's, a, it's, it's all part of their function. So it's like an aeroplane. That's why I love aeroplanes. They're cool. The way they're designed, but it helps with stability. And the pectoral flippers, they, they allow the animals to steer. So they'll, if you ever see a dolphin, they're very fast. They can turn. A narwhal spear. I love that question. So a narwhal spear is actually a tooth. It's the left, 
It's a left canine tooth coming out from males. But there is a small proportion of females that have that tooth as well. And drone footage only a few years ago has captured these narwhals using it to create these vibrations near fish. So we think it's used for hunting as well as males fighting with each other. The coolest animal out. I want to see one. Yeah, I tried to get research in Canada, but hopefully post-COVID that'll happen. On a charter, oh, okay. Well, not really, but okay. <laughs> um, on a charter boat from uh, Exmouth in Western Australia up to the Montebello Islands, um, I'm going to say April, May, something like that. And there, there were so many humpbacks on the way up there. They, they were breaching all around us. Amazing t- thing. Anyway, the boat stops at one point and a humpback turns up next to the boat with her calf and just wallows around there for, I don't know, a few minutes. And it almost seemed like she was there to say, well, check out this. <laughs> that, what you've just described is what we refer to as a whale mugging. Okay. There's no loss of money. No. It's a good one. So a whale mugging is, and I had this happen to me last year. In fact, this will be, there's an ABC documentary coming out, a live event called Southern Ocean Live. In June, I'm plugging it. Yes, I am. Um, And I'll be on there with my research. And this happened to us on that day. We did this research last year. We run over some line. And so the whales we were following, because we collect whale snot with drones. And um, as the whales were in the area, we ran over this line and this expensive boat we were on. And I was like, oh God, these people are going to be upset. The whales came, turned around to our boat and did what you're describing, a whale mugging, where they come around the boat. This one was just two of them. And you'll see me on camera, I'm like nuts because I still, every time I see a whale to this day, will lose my mind. I love it. These animals are, when they're breathing around you, come around, you can't do anything. And as a master of a vessel, you simply put your boat into neutral or turn it off and then put a big smile on your face because it's the coolest thing around. So, You had a mugging experience, which I can't guarantee everyone will have, but when you have it, uh, again, I'm a naturalist on a whale watching boat. When it happens and people have never seen a whale before and then they've never met me, they're like, does this happen every day? Like it it is an incredible thing. And people will cry as a result of that. Yeah, that is a mugging and very much curiosity and she was probably showing her calf. You're absolutely on the money there. That's that's what it seemed like. So you're you're the... Whale snot lady, because I think I saw that on TV. Yeah, yeah, whale. So my PhD was the was defining the use of drones to collect whale snot for an assessment of whale health. And we were the first in the world to do that on the whales here. And also the first in the world to collect viruses from whales via a drone. And the first in the world to collect dolphin snot via a drone. So there you go. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> that's what that's a PhD project right there. Oh my God, I thought my work was weird. No. <laughs> oh my God, whale snot, that's fantastic. Whale snot being the lung bacteria that lives in their lungs. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Oh. Whale snot, so if I was to say lung yeah. microbiota, although nowadays you'd probably understand that everyone, but oh it's the bacteria living in their lungs that we can collect to provide a bit more of an information about them. In fact, I have done a TEDx Melbourne talk talking about this work, so you can Google whale snot TEDx Melbourne. But why, why do they need that bacteria? Because I know in my, in my children's book, um, like we were talking about how kangaroo, um, tree kangaroos yeah. need that bacteria to digest their food. What's the bacteria doing in their lungs? Because you'd think maybe that's going to be, I don't know, 
whale pneumonia. Well, well, that's you hit on two things here. So whales will have bacteria like we do, so part of our microbiota, so it's normal for them. Just to digest their food. Not necessarily because it's coming directly from their lungs. Oh, so, okay. so whale anatomy, their nostril and their lungs it's only one path. There's no option for it to share like what we have. Oh, we've got a, we're actually, there's not many, only humans can do that. Yeah, so they, we have a gag reflex. Whales and dolphins don't because there's no anatomical, the mouth goes directly to the stomach. There's no connection to the lungs at all. Different pipes. Mm-hmm. And and so for the whales, it was a way of us collecting health information from them to learn more about them. So we, we collected their bacteria, which was likely to be in there anyway which right. was similar to what we found in other whale populations, but also representative of mammal- other mammals. But some whales might have different microbiota or lung bacteria when they're sick. And so we can compare. And in fact, dolphins and other mammals, marine mammals, will have bacteria that can cause pneumonia. It's a real thing. Yeah. Right. And unfortunately, they will strand and, and they pass away from it. And especially when a whale is logging, so you have a whale here and another whale there and they're just at the surface doing their thing, just resting with their nostrils hanging out because they've got two, two nostrils. They, one, one might go, <laughs> that's, that's how they breathe, that's their sound. And then the other one will go <laughs> at the same time and that's great transmission. So if you're a bug, that's a great way to go into each other different ways right next to each other there. Mm. Do you think they co-regulate like that, like breathe at the same time and kind of use when, that? When they're travelling, they definitely will time their breaths at the same time. Whoa. It's really, and that's how I can as a scientist go, okay, these ones have been down for five minutes, they're due up in the next two minutes because they're there. Sometimes whales are like textbooks. You can, the textbook whale rather, you can work out their downtimes when they're migrating. It's great. So then I can go, okay, Lord, get ready, get the drone with a fresh Petri dish. Alistair, the drone pilot, get ready to fly. They're there and then I can't see them now. And then Alistair can say, oh, I can see them from the sky and I can't see them. So it's pretty cool. It's a great perspective. Mm. Technology yes, for conservation. Mm. I want to talk about sexual promu- promiscuity. Where do we start? <laughs> um, from what you've been saying, these whales have different partners each time they mate. So it is, they might have multiple partners. So they don't hang around. Jessica and Tom do not hang around. Tom could have multiple partners throughout his lifetime. We're talking of a population of over 40,000 on the East Coast. So he may have been hung out, there's children here, with Jessica only a few times in his life where he may never have seen her ever again. And for how long can Tom get it up? Oh, well, um, I actually don't know the answer to that, but I've got some pretty cool facts to tell you. (laughs) The, The southern right whale is worth Googling. They have the world record, another pub trivia thing coming up, world record for the biggest testicles of any mammal. They, their testicles, each of them, is 500 kilos. What? Yep. And if you Google David Attenborough and mating whales, the males will, females in some cases, this, and I, don't worry, parents, it's okay. I've got it. I won't, yep, don't worry. Fathers are good. Um, they'll hang out in a party where there's a female and the males will like to hang out with the female and the female will be turning around. So there's certain areas where the male wants to hang out and say hi to her. And so much so that they're so manoeuvrable um, that they will be coming out of the water and you'll just see these male areas just out of the water doing their thing. Now, the reason that they have so much sperm is most likely a result of flushing out the previous male's efforts 
So before copulating, there is a chance that they can they can flush out the previous male's evidence of being there to then in, increase his chances of siring that child, which makes sense. So yeah, it's, and then the way I describe humpback whale mating is like aeroplane refueling. So again, aeroplanes, except you, the, the male will turn underneath to meet the female. And in the lifespan of whale, so he's, he's 10 before he starts. Maybe earlier, maybe yeah, earlier. Roughly. Yep, yep, yep. First decade. Yep. 100 years? Well, they can live up to, the humpback whale can live over 80 years of age. Okay. The and, north, Adla no, the bowhead can be 200 years of age. So imagine that. I'll say holy whatever. Um, and in that period, does his ability to get it up deviate? I don't know. I don't know if there's whale medicine. <laughs> um, but I, I actually don't know. And they're great questions. If you have a pool of money, then I will definitely try and research that for you. We can, we can go to great vessel and go tropical locations to see these animals and go to the Arctic, see narwhals as well, and answer that question. But yeah, there's probably some researchers working on similar things. But I must point out when doing research, there always needs to be a good research question. And there may be, there may actually be some a valid research question in that to look at longevity, especially if these animals are at risk of extinction, but particular populations like the North Atlantic right whale. So there would potentially be a part of a research question that one could ask. So if they live to be 100, which I did not know, um, does that mean they... Would they be able to recognise the offspring? Oh, that's a good question. Because I don't know that answer. Do they yeah. ever see their offspring again? But, I mean, they wouldn't want to copulate with them, would they? Because that wouldn't be That's great. a really, really good way of thinking that's true because the, it, the idea is with killer whales, this is a great example, killer whales, will, some will stay with their family for their whole lives, but the males will go off so they reduce the risk of in, inbreeding. Right. In the humpback whale world, yeah. Do they know if that's their mum? I'm, sh I'm assuming they do. Oh, their mum? I didn't even think of that. Oh, my golly. <laughs> Has Migaloo hung out with his mum? I don't know. There's more than one Migaloo out there apparently don't as well. Don't talk so. about it. <laughs> it's very interesting, isn't it? The, the, we're talking about an animal the size of a bus that we hardly see. This is quite amazing. That's why they're so fascinating. Mm. And that's why it's such a – sky whales is such an opportunity to – to, in my opinion, I love the idea because we're in the science world, we're always looking down at whales. They're down below. They're always swimming in an eye with them. But your balloons, I like the idea of looking up to them. It gives us an opportunity to reflect and to be grateful for these creatures that play such important roles in our environment. Yeah, I mean, that was the idea that I had in my head. I was thinking, it's just so amazing that we have evolved to live at the same time and evolution has gone this way and we're just here to, to witness it. It's just amazing. It's a, it's a miracle. It is. It, it, yeah, and that's, that's what the Skywall is about, that it's just nature is incredible that it, and it's gone this way. It could have gone that way, just as improbable but not maybe less possible. Um, and we're just lucky. And also with balloons, we have to be lucky that they come out as well. Yes. Because that's another thing. Like you're dealing with nature as well. Sometimes you see them as whales and sometimes you don't. It's the same with hot air balloons. Like sometimes they come out, but if it's windy, they're not coming out. Well, if it's windy for yeah. whale research, we don't go out because you can't oh. fly the drone. So it's very similar. Oh, right. Yes. Technology. So, exactly. Yeah. But in, if it's windy and in in you're not doing any research, 
Some whales, because it's so hard to talk to each other, they'll jump out of the water and they might be more active. Mm. I, I, unfortunately, it's not the case of the sky whales. No, they just stay in their bag. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask, um, if, if we can't get to Fairfield to see the... Oh, sorry. If we can't get to Fairfield to see the launch of the Sky Papa, Will it, will, will it just go up and down or will it fly here? Well, we a good question. Well? So depending on the day and the conditions, um, they might tether, which means that they're tied to the ground. Um, but they also, and if the conditions are perfect, or not perfect but different and good, um, they will fly over the city. So Melbourne's a pretty fortunate city, like... Canberra in that we have a ballooning culture. Like you can't fly a balloon over Brisbane or Adelaide and it's very hard over Sydney. But over Melbourne we can and that's why it's... If, if it's good weather, if it's the right conditions, we'll be able to fly over the city. And you must have seen balloons fly over this city. Yeah, and this is why. Yeah, we're very fortunate. That's a good question as well. Um, technology. Yeah, yeah, you need you need flight radar for your balloons. Yeah, if there's we, any plane nerds. Yeah, yeah, we should we should be able to do that. Um, yeah, Sam. <laughs> we're, we're really hoping that uh, we'll get uh, ABC Radio to tune in. I can't promise it, but uh, they've been following the national tour really closely. Um, and there's certainly there's quite a lot of media attention over the next week, which is a lot of excitement. Um, and so, yeah, we hope that they'll be uh, tuning in and, and getting updates. We'll certainly let them know. Oh well, they they emerged in Canberra, and then they went to Albury, and then to Maitland, and then to Bordertown, and they were they're going to go to Adelaide on the weekend, and after that they'll come here. And this is all because of the Naomi Milgram Foundation. Um, they funded it. It's so fantastic um, that this can happen. And they're going to another eight venues. It's incredible, all over Australia. Um, it's all, yeah, it's all possible because of the foundation. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about this artwork is that um, it's kind of... It, it, when you see it, you know that it's going to be a great day. Like, it's... And you kind of... Because it's the weather is good. It's, it's still and calm and, and, and they come out. And sometimes, sometimes the weather is bad and they don't come out. And that's, you know, that's an interesting situation to be in because we're not, we're not often in that situation where we can't control things. I mean, I get really anxious around the performance because I think, you know, will it happen? You know, will it be good? Will it be not? Because, I, you know, I'm used to putting a sculpture on a pedestal and turning the light on. You know, and it's like perfect. Whereas with this project, it's a, there's so many things that are beyond my control and I just have to go with it. And, and that's not a situation that I'm often in or we it's as like humans. like whale research. Exactly like whale research. Yeah. Like so your balloons like, are reflective. It's very humbling. So humbling. You know, I can't control it. You know, and it just really puts me in my place. Um, which is a good, good place to be. Like nature's boss. You know, yeah. I think one of the things about this work that's so important, and I think that over the last couple of years, it really came into its own, um, 
that as a public artwork, everybody can see it. it it's there to be shared. Um, and yeah. some of the messages that uh, are embedded in, in the story, the narrative behind it, are such important messages about nurturing and care. Um, and so, yes, it's going to be in Fairfield, and I hope you can get to the launch. It's very special watching it inflate and, and pulse to life. But then once it sets sail, that spot was chosen. It's beautiful, surrounded by trees. But that spot was chosen because it's the best chance for the pilot to then fly right the way across the city. And that's the real magic. That's, we were so tempted to put more balloons up to get photographs and things. It's like, no, 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 the sky whales are out. That, that's all about the sky whales. So yeah. that's the dream. <laughs> I think the best way to... I mean, there's two great things. When you see them in flight, it's sort of like a slight small evolution. It's like they, they're coming to life. It's like a kind of strange evolutionary birth. That's a really special moment. But then another time when you see them fly across the city and you're going... What is that? You know, who are they? What is going on? And you're not quite sure exactly what they are. Like, are they, what are they? Are they an animal for something? For like, are they an artwork? What are they? Because balloons are not traditionally an art medium. Like, there aren't many art balloons in the world. They're often used for advertising something, like, I don't know, alcohol or something. So, yeah, it's the, they're truly enigmatic. You know, you just think, you're not quite sure and that's quite another nice position to be in where you're not exactly sure what's going on and you're asking the questions. Yeah. Because the work is very open-ended. All my work is. Yeah, there's lots of... asks lots of questions, not many answers. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr Vanessa Pirotta and Patricia Piccinini, thank you so much for a beautiful conversation about whales and circling back to the magic of the sky whales. And so just to remind you, yes, on Saturday week is our, is our target date to take off in the skies and we will communicate really clearly if there's any change in date because of weather and we'll keep on trying till we get there and then it'll continue on its journey around Australia and we're really proud to be supporting such an amazing work. So congratulations, it's fantastic and thank you for coming tonight. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Thank listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.